All right, so um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, the years ahead, it's really easy to look back and see what has happened, right, in terms of living and in whether you're retired or not. But looking forward is always a little bit harder, yeah? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about what's coming in, in our area, mainly retirement living. Now, I'm going to just do a quick disclosure. I do not work for a retirement community. Um, I do not work for a consultant that consults retirement communities. Um, you know, Chris and I own a real estate company and a move management company, so we kind of live and work with people in those fields, and we get to hear lots of things. But we also talk to lots of people who are trying to make decisions about where they're going to live and how they're going to live. And so I'm going to come at this from a perspective of, are you ready? I don't know what's going to happen. 10 years from now. Let's just be honest, right? That's like the weatherman in Oklahoma trying to tell us what the weather's going to be like next Saturday. But what I do know is that things are a-changing, kind of like the weather in Oklahoma, okay? And so hopefully, rather than solve all the world's problems today, we're going to start a lot of conversations about how collectively we can solve some of the world's problems and primarily as they relate to senior living. So let me define senior living real quick. Senior living, in my mind, has to do with where you live and how you live after retirement. Okay, uh, a retirement living should, should be that definition rather, not senior living. Senior living is kind of a definition of a, of a type of retirement living, right? Where you might live at a senior living community or a 55 and older community. And we're gonna kind of conflate those two. We're gonna talk about both of them together today, um, but primarily, uh, where you live now you're gonna have, you have a handout on your table and on that handout there are uh, some things uh, some truths that I'm going to cover today and as we go through those truths you might want to make some notes to yourself and then on the back side is where we're going to talk about action steps that you can take as it relates to what we learned about those truths okay I don't like to do classes or I had a I had a lady one time tell me, she said, Dickie, I want you to come and be on a panel. And she said, we're going to talk about all the problems related to this topic. And I said, okay. And I said, so then we're also going to give some solutions. And she said, no, no, we're not going to talk about solutions. I just want to talk about problems. And I said, well, I don't want to be on that panel. <laughs> because if we're going to talk about problems, we also need to talk about some solutions, right? The last thing I do, want everybody to do is leave here today and go to the local bar and just get soused because there are no solutions, right? We're not doing that. There are some solutions, and we're going to talk about those today. All right, so you also have an evaluation on your table. And as always, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the time we're to get together, fill the evaluation out. Uh, my father-in-law, Jim, who usually picks those evaluations up by the registration table, is not here today, so Shannon... Uh, is going to be picking those up. She's wearing a red sweater, so she'll be standing back there at the back when you leave. And she's in charge of making sure that you filled out both the front and the back of the evaluation because today it's a different evaluation. Those of you who fill it out in advance before we even start, Betty and Karen, <laughs> you have to look at it today because there's two sides to it. All right, good. I walked by the other day and Karen had circled 10. I said, Karen, we had not even started. That was very nice of you. 
Okay, has anybody seen the demographics lately of our population? So if you haven't, um, if you, it means you've not read AARP magazine. <laughs> because they're always talking about the age wave or the senior tsunami or the baby boomers turning 65 at a rate of 10,000 people per day for the next decade, that kind of thing, right? So these three graphs are basically uh, illustrations of what our demographics looked like in three different time frames. So 2000, 2020, and 2050. It skips over quite a bit, right? But what we know is that um, our population is over the next decade or so going to be where we have more people in the 65 and older age group than we have in the adolescent and young person's age group. We'll have more older adults than we have children. Okay. Now you may not think that sounds like a big deal because you're thinking, great, those kids are just a pain, but they serve a purpose, right? So we're going to talk about what that means for us and how does that affect us. Um, and then there's this little graph, and this is kind of fun, um, where they show how it's changing over time, over the next several um, years and decades. And we're mainly going to talk here for the next, over about the next 10 years, but if you look, that goes all the way to 2060. And if you'll notice, some of you in the room are looking at that top bar, and you can't read what it says. On the left side over here, that's men. On this side is women. And that is people at the very top, 85 and older, okay? Did you see that the women's graph is a little bit bigger, longer, right? So we know that women typically outlive men, right? Still true, although it is beginning to, the gap is beginning to, to narrow a little bit. Men are living longer as well, but we women kill you off a little sooner. So um, we're the ones that are gonna have to deal with a lot of this stuff. Uh, on our own if you guys don't start taking better care of yourselves. So that's my one editorial comment uh, for this five minute period. Okay. So men in the room, the reason we outlive you isn't because we've killed you off. It might be because of genetics, but more than likely it's not. All right. Right, Don? You notice they're not laughing. These are meant to be jokes. Nobody's laughing, which means it's probably not funny to some of you, right? But the women in the room, I think there are more women in the room, and they're going, I'm not laughing because he's going to kick me under the table. All right. Here's another graph for you, um, and this is that for the first time in history, we're going to see the number of people 65 and older outpace children. And we're going to talk about why that matters. And then here's the five things that I just kind of want to share with you that was written in a book in 2004 by a gentleman Dave, named David Soley. Um, he's, he's got a list of credentials this long. But back in 2004, this book was written, and it still holds true today. Now, there are more than five dilemmas that people face as they get older, but these are the five that he wrote about that I went, you know what? If we could solve these five dilemmas for people, if we could help them better deal with these dilemmas, we could, we could make a big difference in the world, okay? So the first one is where will I live? That's, that was his, not mine. I happened to be in that field, so I went, isn't that interesting? That's the first one he listed is where will I live as I get older? The second one is how can I manage my health? Big deal, right? That's a very big deal. How will I cope all by myself? 
Um, so if you lose a spouse or if you live with a partner and that person is no longer with you, how do you manage? Um, if you, I had one lady that for many years she lived with her brother. She had epilepsy. Um, he cared for her. He was her caregiver throughout her entire life. Um, she was in her 60s. He passed away. And now she was left to care for herself. So these questions of how do I take care of myself when it's just me uh, are for lots of reasons, right? And at lots of different ages. What should I do about money? That tends to be the one that gets focused on most in the news and in a lot of the mag magazines that we read and articles that we read, but it's not probably the biggest issue. And then the last one, what is the right way to say goodbye? In other words, how do I plan for the goodbyes to others or the goodbyes for myself? Okay, so today we're gonna focus primarily on number one, number two, and number three, uh, but those affect number four and number five, right? Um, I was talking with someone uh, here, I think Shirley, you guys, we were talking about the fact that um, we've been groomed our entire lives to be educated on the phase of life we're in. So for instance, I have a two-year-old grandson, his name's Eli, I have a five-year-old grandson and an 11-year-old granddaughter, and they all are in different levels of school now, right? Eli's getting ready to go to preschool, uh, Maverick's in primary school, and Layla's going into middle school. And they're being trained for different things, right? When you're two, you go to daycare and preschool to learn to be social, right? You learn how to deal with other kids, and you learn how to navigate um, rules of society. And then in primary school, you learn to read and write and do math, hopefully. You know, some of us learn math better than others. Um, and then when you're in high school, you're doing some job readiness, right? And you're doing some readiness for life, for adulthood. Um, you go to college, university, higher ed, vocational school to learn a career, an occupation, a path for yourself to earn. And then while you're earning, we're almost all doing some sort of education to continue that, right? To continue an education of some sort in services and so on. Now, once someone retires, what is their educational path? There isn't one, best I can tell, right? There are some places out there obviously people can go back and audit classes and you can go to university but there is no path that they say okay now that you've retired doesn't matter your age 65 60 70 75 doesn't matter this is your educational path we need you to enroll in it and we need you to complete it and we get your certificate surely we talked about it. there isn't one is there we don't know about one but we think there might should be one because how many people are not prepared for the next phase of life because there's no educational path Okay, you're here, I'm preaching to the choir, because you're saying, I want to be educated, I want to learn about this. The other place we're really good is medical, right? Remember um, when there was a time when you only went to the doctor when you were sick? You guys remember that time? All right, it wasn't long ago, maybe 30 years or so, 40 years ago. Now, um, when you turn a certain age, they require you, require meaning highly suggest, recommend, virtually make you do certain things. For women, we have to go get our female uh, physicals, right? Our mammograms and our uh, pap smears, things like that. Men, prostate exams. Thankfully, everybody gets to get a colonoscopy, right? Yay, right? Used to be 50, now I think it's like 45 or something, right? But there are certain well checks that they do, right, that's preventative, yeah? 
And we all comply for the most part. There are a few people who choose not to do that. For the most part, we do it because it's what? Somebody said smart. Somebody said good for us. It's proactive, right? It's proactive. We do it in an effort to avoid future problems, yeah? Okay, so that's what I want to leave you with today. That's what this is about. I promise you it will not be anything like a colonoscopy. <laughs> but for some of you, may it feel like one. Because there's some things that we're going to talk about today that are not going to feel good. They're not going to settle well with you. You're not going to want to hear them. But at the end of the day, if we don't know about them, we can't plan for them, right? So um, I make no promises that it will be a feel-good kind of day, but we're going to have a few laughs, and hopefully we'll learn something from each other, all right? So I'm going to go through these truths, and there are 10 of them. And as we go through them, I'm probably going to ask, um, Chris, could one of y'all come up here and get my glasses for me out of my bag? <laughs> because I cannot see that. <laughs> and so we're going to go through these together. Um, Jake, you might want to run, because I can't really do anything until I have my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> in my purse in that little glass case. Oh, well, I just turn around here and look at these. All right. 70 to 90% of people over age 65 will require some type of long-term care support. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. 70, 90%. And guess what? 70 to 90%, uh, why 70, why 90? Well, the percentages increase as you get older. So if you're in your, say, 65 uh age group, you might have a 70% likelihood of needing long-term care support. If you're uh, 90 years old, you might need, need a higher percentage. Does that make sense? Now, uh, let me digress for one second. Those of you who are here in December, back at our December seminar at Quail Creek, remember we did a seminar on the topic, the truth about living to be 100. If you were not at that seminar, let me just recap for you. There is a significant percentage of the people in this room who will live to be 100 or older. And there's several reasons for that. One, you're educated. Two, you have means, right? You have the money to go get health care, right? And you live in the U.S. And you have a support system. Or I know that because I know why you're here, right? So you in this room are in the percentage of people that are likely to live to be 100. Now, will all of us live to be 100? No. But how do you know which ones will be? So do we need to plan for that? We probably should, right? So the second truth, most people are choosing to live in their current residence until their personal care needs, social, health care, uh, et cetera, are not being met or they have a crisis. So we know from studies that most people want to stay where they are in their current house. I don't blame you, right? I mean, it's easier, uh, it seems more convenient, and right now, while you're healthy, capable, and if you're partnered, if you have a significant other that lives with you or you live with family, then it's actually easier, right, because you have support. The problem lies in uh, a lot of other things, so things that happen, if those needs aren't being met anymore and something changes, then your residence that you're in may or may not work for you anymore, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Retirement truth number three, small, or non-existent support networks can make getting help when you need it challenging. I've had more than one conversation with people in this room about when they had an issue, they didn't have help. It wasn't because they didn't have people that cared about them. It was because it was hard to find that help at the time they needed it, right? It was hard to get the ride to the doctor appointment on the day that you needed to be there at the time you needed to be there. And so let me show you a slide here. This 
slide is very disturbing to me. And I share it with you um, without a solution. And they're working on solutions, but um, you'll find that there is no really good solution. And that is that in 2021, the ratio of caregivers, informal and formal, meaning paid and unpaid, family and paid support, was seven to one for people over age 65. So there were seven people who could take care of one person who needed it. In 2030, they're projecting it to be four caregivers available for every one person in the older age group that needs it. And, the, and then in 2050, three to one. So back when I said earlier that the number of older adults is outpacing the number of children, does that have an impact on that? Absolutely it does. It also has an immigration laws have an impact on that, right? Whether or not we can get people to come in uh, to do lower wage jobs has an impact on that. Whether or not we can pay those people, what we need to pay them has an impact on that. But I'll tell you one of the other things that has a huge impact on that is the family structure being spread out all over creation, right? So how many of you, your family members don't live anywhere near you? And in order to be a caregiver, they would have to come back from wherever they are or you would have to go to them. Uh, I already have thought about this pretty extensively and it's interesting because let's say I live to be 100, um, which I fully expect I probably will. 120 is actually the number I have in my head. You're laughing. I'm going to keep teaching until I cannot do it anymore. Yes. So at, at 100, my daughter will be 80. My son and my daughter will be 80. I had them on, on my 20s. She will be my primary caregiver. At 80, guess what? She may need a caregiver. And so I'm not planning on my kids being my primary caregiver, frankly. You know who I'm planning on? My grandkids. I need more of them. Matter of fact, I need girls. I've got one, she's 11, I'm grooming her, right? So folks, quit worrying about your kids. We don't really, you just let your kids do whatever they want. You need to get in good with your grandkids and your nieces and your nephews. That's what I'm saying. So, and I, I joke about that, but there's some truth to that, isn't there? How many of you right now, if you had a need, would call a grandchild? Raise your hand. Only a few, okay. All right, great. So there, I'm telling you, it's, it's happening, okay? It's happening. So retirement living number four, homes are often ill-equipped for those with declining health or mobility. Homes are often ill-equipped. Uh, we're dealing with this right now in my own family. We have family members who have recently had issues and are currently having issues, and part of the issues, they got help, but the house is a nightmare, right? Two bathtubs, no shower, hard to get your legs in and out, hard to do what you need to do. The doors are narrow. We got people that are larger with walkers trying to get in and out of those doors with a secondary person trying to help them. It's almost impossible. So part of the issue is our houses are not equipped. And so people want to live in the same house and they built their house in the 50s and or 60s or even 70s and now they they can't get in and out of their bathroom safely or they can't get in and out of their shower safely so those are some issues we deal with as well and then here's another truth and that is that there's availability oh this one's my favorite i this is i tell you what we're going to talk about this one a little bit okay so there is availability in senior living communities in oklahoma city right now but that that is temporary now, my guess is that you're getting bombarded, if you're 65 or older, 
especially if you're 70 and older, you're getting bombarded with postcards and mailers and invitations from senior living communities who are saying, hey, come check us out. Because they have availability. And now, they had a little bit of availability before the pandemic, but not a lot. But post-pandemic, they have quite a bit of availability. It's because a lot of people transitioned out of independent living into assisted living during the pandemic. They realized that they needed more care than they could get in their independent communities and apartments and such. And so they transitioned into assisted living. Some moved from assisted living into nursing or back home with family, uh, etc. Now, this is what it looks like, right? Big vacancy signs, right? Hey, we have openings, come see us. We're gonna give you this deal and that deal, and you can pick any apartment you want, and we're gonna recarpet it and repaint it, and we're gonna do all these things for you. That sounds great, doesn't it? But you're not ready yet. You're planning five years down the road, maybe 10 years down the road. Here's what that's gonna look like. There are gonna be waiting lists, and there are going to be people sitting by the phone wondering when, if ever, this person's going to call them to tell them they have an apartment available. Because those vacancies do not last forever. The number of people, the sheer number of people that are going to want and need to move into senior living communities is going to outpace how many we have available. And they're not building that many, you guys. They're not building that many. And so right now, you know, we've got marketers out there who are struggling and they, you know, it's like, I need to get these apartments full because that, that's part of their economic model, right? They've got to be financially stable and they've got to have those apartments full. But what happens when they are full and they have a waiting list? Supply and demand, right? The deals become fewer. You're going to pay whatever they're asking. Kind of like the real estate market. Remember about six or seven months ago when somebody put their house on the market and we got 25 offers for 20% over list price because there wasn't enough housing, right? What happens when there's not enough senior living housing? The same thing can happen. So prices can go up, deals aren't being made, and you're going to get what you get if you need it, right? If it's a requirement, like you have to have it, it's a crisis, you're going to pick whatever you can pick because you're not going to have time to be 97th on the list. Make sense? Okay. So now marketers out there that are in the senior living industry, they, they go, oh, I can't wait for that time, right? That's exciting because that makes their job so much easier. It really doesn't makes their job actually equally as hard, just in a different way. Because then they have 97 people on a list waiting to get in. And how many times do you think those 97 people call every day? At least once. So that's 97 calls a day. <laughs> now, in Oklahoma City, you may say that's never going to happen. I'm going to say I had a conversation with a friend and a colleague in Bentonville, Arkansas yesterday, and they are dealing with waiting lists in Bentonville, Arkansas right now. Oklahoma is kind of slow. We are the slowest. Usually it starts on the coast. It works its way in. Things start to change, and then we realize it changes 10, 10 years after it changed everywhere else. True story. Right? So what's happening on the coast, North Carolina, South Carolina, waiting lists. Florida, waiting lists. New York, waiting lists. Oregon, waiting lists. Seattle, waiting lists. All down the coast, waiting lists. Oklahoma, give it a year, a few, a few years here, we're going to have waiting lists. Okay. Retirement living truth number six. The preferred highly rated nursing communities for skilled in rehab and long-term care 
are frequently going to have waiting lists, or they're already full and have waiting lists. And this will continue for the foreseeable future. So nursing communities, meaning what we've always called nursing homes, are now called long-term care communities, a lot of them, okay? Long-term care communities, meaning you need 24-hour care and medical support. And so if that happens, it could be uh, short-term, which is skilled care, like right out of the hospital, you need a little rehab, and then you're going to go home. Those are full, too. Guess what? Discharge planners are having to get on the phone and call around and ask, do you have available beds? Do you have available beds? Do you have available beds? Until they find one. And guess what? Sometimes where they find one is in Guthrie or Sayre or Cushing or Ponca City or Texas. Now, you get out of the hospital and your daughter lives in Bethany. Do you want to move to Texas? No. But unfortunately, we have another problem, as if we didn't have enough. Nursing homes are closing. Have you heard about this? Big article in the Tulsa World, um, all over the country, especially rural America, we're losing nursing homes. We're losing them for a lot of reasons, uh, most of which I won't get into today. But one of them is the shortage of staff. If they can't hire enough nursing staff to staff the building, they can't put residents in those rooms. So you may call and they may have three apartments available, three units available, but they don't have the staff to meet the regulations and requirements for caring for that number of people. They can't let you move in there legally. Does that make sense? So you say, oh, my, I've been at my mom's place or my aunt's place and there's like five available apartments, so there's plenty of availability out there. Well, no, because just because there's a, it's like we went to a restaurant recently and they said um, it'll be a 45 minute wait. And I'm looking around the restaurant going, there's like 10 tables over there. Can we sit at one of those? No. Why not? We don't have enough wait staff. It's the same problem. So if they don't have enough people, they can't let you move in. Retirement living truth number seven. Regular and long-term in-home personal care is largely unaffordable, especially for non-homeowners. Okay, what do I mean by unaffordable? Let's just look at a graph here. So the cost of hiring someone to come and stay with you, if you choose or can't afford to move to a community, either way, choose or can't afford it, roughly $27 per hour right now for an aide. Okay, $27 an hour. And we can't get people to do those jobs. What do you think is gonna happen with that? It's gonna have to go up so that we can get people to do those jobs. Now, right now, if you wanted somebody to come into your home or someone you knew's home and take care of them 40 hours a week, 40 hours a week, it's, it's gonna cost you around 60 grand a year. What, if, what happens if you need them overnight? That's gonna go up. So people say, well, I'm just gonna live in my own home. I'll get help if I need it. Remember the ratio I said, seven to one? Four to one, three to one. It's going down. We don't have enough people, and people are wanting care in their home. So there's also the, the stat for assisted living, $54,000 a year, give or take. That's the median uh, to live in assisted living. Now I'm talking about assisted, meaning you get a little bit of nursing care there, right? Not, not nursing, nursing, but more like medication maintenance, help with bathing, helping with dressing, things like that. Not medical, 
nursing care. And then the big one is the nursing care. So a private room in a nursing community, long-term care community, $108,000 a year, private. Now, what happens if somebody cannot afford that? They typically sell their home, use their home equity first to pay that, and then they have to either pay it out of pocket, if they don't have long-term care insurance or they don't have some sort of benefits that pay for that, they're typically going to go apply for Medicaid. Medicaid is the state insurance that pays for nursing care. Okay? Medicare, remember, does not pay for nursing care. Medicaid will pay for nursing care long-term. Now, here's the challenge with that. I said earlier, nursing homes are closing, right? Why do you think nursing homes are closing? One reason, they can't afford to stay open because the reimbursement rate by Medicaid is not enough to cover their staffing costs. So what do you think is gonna happen with this number? It's gonna have to go up in order for nursing homes to stay in business. Okay, and be able to hire the staff that they need. So, we're talking a decade, right? I'm talking, and I'm not even talking a full decade. Something's gonna have to change quickly or we're not gonna have enough nursing communities to be able to take care of the people that are going to need it. Retirement truth number eight, the shortage of healthcare workers, CNAs, and nurses is affecting both care and availability. So I talked about availability, meaning you, you can't even move in there. Let's say you do move in there, you are living there, then they are, they're short-staffed. Not only are they short-staffed, they're, they're working as best they could even if they're not short-staffed, they're also doing more than ever before in terms of care with less training than ever before. Um, and so now the top communities, the communities that have five-star ratings, four-star ratings, um, three of them represented here, two of them rather, one of them doesn't provide nursing care but the other two do, they have very high ratings. They're gonna have higher staff ratios than the ones who don't. They're basically saying, look, we're gonna hire enough people to take care of folks, we're gonna do that. We're gonna make it a commitment. But then you have communities that just cannot do it or will not do it or the profit margins are more important than the care of the person living there. So how do you know? Well, you have to do your homework, right? There's a research process for that. Then number nine, Population growth is outpacing new construction of senior living at all levels of care. I did a little research to see how many housing uh, starts we have for senior living here in Oklahoma City. Don, correct me if I'm wrong, but I only saw one, and it was for affordable senior living, um, tax-based. In other words, if you have a low enough income, you could qualify to live there, but it was only for people independent. It wasn't for assisted. Um, there are a couple of new communities that were built by the City Housing Authority, Oklahoma City Housing Authority, that are assisted living for people who are low income. Uh, you have to meet a certain income requirement and you can live there. They filled up before they were even started. There was a waiting list a mile long before they ever even like broke ground. Okay. Uh, to my knowledge, there are no CCRCs uh, projected to be built. Uh, in the foreseeable future, which is a continuing care retirement community, uh, or uh, anything other than assisted living. Let me tell you more about that. So independent living, we've talked about multiple times, most of you in the room know, is a community built for people who don't really need health care, right? You want maybe some help with meals because that's really great and they have transportation and built-in social and it's a community of people and you have engagement and it's fun, right? It's because you want to be there. Not because you have to be there, you're choosing to be there. 
Assisted living is a different creature, right? That's where healthcare starts. Typically, people don't go, oh, I cannot wait to move to assisted living. Doesn't happen. They move to assisted living because they can no longer manage on their own and they really need the help. Now, once they get there, a lot of times they go, I'm really glad I did this. But nobody does cartwheels to get there, okay? Even worse yet, the dreaded is the nursing care, right? Nobody wants to be in nursing care. But what we're finding is that there is a industry, and this is where, this isn't talked about in these kinds of lectures usually. There is an industry right now bubbling up and people in the like hotel industry and people in uh, housing development, new construction, are getting into what they refer to as the senior living space. Did you know there's a space for senior living? Who knew? The senior living space. And you know what they're most excited about? Which product line? Assisted living. You know why? It's where the profit margins are. If they can build it right and fill it up, it's private pay because the state doesn't pay for it. It's coming right out of your pocket. And they need the least number of caregivers per person ratio of any of the healthcare settings. Memory care requires more, long-term care skill require more. So they can minimize cost and maximize profits with assisted living. So what do you think they want to build? Assisted livings. So when they start building more assisted livings, we'll see some things change, but guess what? Do you think we have a bunch of them clamoring to get into Oklahoma to build assisted livings? No. You know why? Somebody say it out loud. They're not getting tax incentives to do it. They're not going to get any breaks to do it, right? We don't have a political climate that incentivizes them to come and do it, right? Like other states do. Now, I'm not talking politics here. I'm just telling you the facts. I read an article literally last night that between Connecticut and Oklahoma, Connecticut has a major social system that is trying to take care of their seniors at a high level, and they're building a lot of senior um, healthcare solutions into their government programming. We are not. So we are not probably going to attract a lot of those solutions to our city unless something changes. Now, we may or may not want something to change, and I'm not advocating one way or the other. I'm just telling you it's the reality. If somebody, if a, if a developer can go and build in a different state and make a higher profit margin easier, they're going to do it. Make sense? Okay, so we've got this last truth, number 10. Before I get to solutions, I am going to get to solutions, I promise. Owners and operators of senior living residents agree that things must change, but most are grappling with where to begin. I invited Don Blose to be here today. He's going to be speaking at our next panel at the library, but Don's the executive director of Spanish Co. Has been for how many years now? Uh, 11 years. 11, feels like 111, but 11, right? Um, and, you know, I said, because there may be questions that we have today that I can't answer that I would rather have somebody in the know answering. But I'm going to speak to this truth, and that is that... Uh, I, I do a lot of research, as you all know, I read a lot, I study a lot, and I, I listen to a lot of interviews and panel events and things like that. Somebody's car warranty's expired, they're going to have to take care of that. Um, and so 
what what I was listening to this last week that caught my attention was they do these uh, like think tanks, and they'll put a bunch of owners of senior living community and senior living um, uh, corporations on a panel and ask them questions about the future of senior living. And I love watching those because those guys are idiots. I mean, the guys at the local level are the ones that know what they're doing. The guys who actually own these big organizations that have 30 to 300 units, that, I mean, uh, communities that they run, they have not a clue. Most of them are in their 40s. Um, they just got out of uh, whatever master's degree program, and they sit up there, and, they, and you want to know what the wave of the future is that's going to save all of us? Are you ready? This was a consensus. Ready? Robots. Robots. Technology is going to save us all. We're going to have robots delivering your food to your room, medication to you. They're going to help you do everything except for they all agree that they're still struggling with how they're going to get robots to help people shower. Not really sure how they're going to do that yet. Okay, now I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. The problem is technology is not the solution to everything. Can we agree with that? Right? You can wear a smartwatch, and here's the deal. My watch is set that if I were to fall right now off these steps and hit hard on the ground, it would send an alert saying, I've fallen. It would also ask me, Nikki, are you okay? Would you like us to contact emergency services? And I can say yes or no. If I say yes, it will dial 911 for me. A robot is not going to show up at my side and lift me up off the ground, right? A human person is going to drive a fire truck from five miles down the road and get here and then load me onto a gurney. You guys follow me? Human beings are still going to have to be available to answer the call from our smartwatch. So I say all this because it, there's a conundrum, right? There's a conundrum. And here's the conundrum, and that is... How do people in the world of senior living, whether it's people who provide in-home care or support groups or have a residential building that you can live in, how do the medical providers, how do we support people in a way that makes the most sense? And right now, technology is being thrown around as one of the top things. Here was the other thing that came out of these think, think tanks was how to incentivize workers. Now this one I really like, and this one I appreciated that they brought up. Only one out of the five brought it up. But she said, we have got to figure out how to incentivize more people to work in our industry who actually care about the people that they're serving. Which, by the way, is not always money motivated, right? So how do we do this? I was having a conversation with Delilah Joyner Martin at SNU. She's in charge of the uh, family studies and gerontology program at SNU and the adult studies there. And we were talking about it, and she said, you know, Nikki, she said, we need more people in ministry working in aging services in the senior living communities, right? We need people who see it as a ministry, not as a job. And so where do we have to start with that? Remember my little grandson, Eli? He's two. We got to start there, don't we? But that's not going to help a lot of us <laughs> because by the time he gets through school, that's 20 years from now. Right? So Layla, who's 11, we could start with her, right? 
But we've got to educate and we've got to provide incentives. And so the other day, my niece, who's Haley, who's a senior in Geary High School, she's getting ready to graduate, she's going to go to college, play basketball. She wants to go into sports medicine. Okay, so I said, great. Let's look at what scholarships are available at the schools you want to go to to help pay for housing. She's going to get a, a grant. She's going to get some things. And so we're on the thing at uh, NOC up in Tonkawa. There was a whole list of scholarships that people had left. And uh, some of them were small, you know, $500 here or there. Some of them were $2,000, $2,500. That was about the, the most I saw was $2,500. But here's what they were for. A lot of them were earmarked for nursing students because they have a nursing school there, right? So a lot of people who are either alumni or residents or uh, professor emeritus there had earmarked funds for scholarships for students for nursing and various different things. I thought, okay, we need to have people earmarking funds for people who want to be CNAs, right? Certified nurses assistants or home health aides, right? That kind of thing. Because here's the deal. If we don't make it a, an important field, people aren't going to want to go into it, are they? Right? Why do people go into certain fields? Because they glamorize it. They make it look good. They, even doctors. There are very few doctors, guys, going into geriatrics. Did you know that? You know what they'd rather be in? Pediatrics and plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery. You know why? People like kids better and they like money better because private pay, most cosmetic surgery is private pay, right? Unless it's associated with some sort of reconstruction, right? So it is, it is where people can make the most money, but it's also glamorized. So if we're going to, as a society, a couple of things, um, and this is not in my slides, but what hit me just now intuitively was when was the last time that you appreciated, sincerely, intentionally appreciated a home health aide or CNA that works at a hospital or a nursing community or a senior community? Now, if you live at one, you may have more recently. But I'll be honest with you guys, they've been beat up. They've been kicked around. They've been treated like crap for the past several years due to COVID, right? They've, some of these CNAs have been working 80-hour weeks for, I think here in Oklahoma, they make roughly, what is it, Don, $16 an hour? It just really depends on where. where. So I think I saw 16 to 20 was the range, but that, I know some of them aren't making that much. And they, some of them don't get benefits because they're working part-time here and part-time there and part-time there, okay? Um, and so, guys, I'm just saying, when they're having a bad day and they don't say something exactly the way you'd like for them to and we get crappy with them and they go home and tell their spouse, you know what, I ain't working there no more. I'm going to work at Sonic because I can make more money at Sonic than I can make where I'm at and people aren't mean to me there. reality. That's our responsibility. And when I was at the hospital visiting my uncle, uh, Don, when he was there, and I, I, these nurses would come in, God love them, and sometimes they were having a bad day. Sometimes they were having a bad day. And sometimes uh, I was having a bad day. 
And I just constantly reminded myself, Nikki, you don't know what's going on with them. You don't know what's going on. Be nice, right? Be nice, be nice, be nice. Say something nice. Well, the other day, I was in a doctor's office, and they did an exceptional job, this doctor's office of fielding my questions and all this stuff, the front desk staff and all that. And I just, I went to my car, and I, I got in, and I thought, nope, I'm going back. I got back out of my car, I went back inside, and I said, I just need you guys to know. And I choked up a little bit. I was like, you guys are amazing. Thank you for taking time to answer my questions today. And they both went, thank you for that. I needed that today. And then I got an email from the doctor later thanking me for doing that. Who does that, right? I'm sure some of you do that, because some of you are just that, that's the type of person that you are. But I'm gonna tell you, we need more nurses because here's the deal, we're not gonna have enough. All right, so let's start, talk about some solutions that we have control over. So on the back of your piece of paper, on the back of your uh, handout, there are three categories. And those three categories, um, there are obviously more than three categories, but we're gonna, we're gonna start big and we're gonna work our way down the funnel to the other ones uh, in other classes that we teach here over a period of time, right? And so, as I said earlier, some of our education partners are doing classes, and what we kind of structured for this program is here at Crossings, we kind of do big picture stuff, okay? We're gonna talk about the issues, and we're gonna talk about some of the practical challenges and the practical solutions, but then what we're gonna do is we're gonna direct you to these other classes that are being done like at Villages and the Alzheimer's Association and at Senior Communities and at New View, and these guys are offering more very specific, step-by-step, how-to, solution-based information, okay? So don't just come today and go, okay, gosh, Nikki pointed out all these things and here are these solutions, I don't know what to do next. Do something else next, okay? But here's the deal, being proactive is the key. How many of you would say by the very nature of your personality, you're a proactive person, you do things in advance before it needs to be done, raise your hand. Okay, good, that's why you're here, right? Um, the rest of you are reactive um, by the very nature of the opposing questions. So how many of you will admit by a show of hands, you tend to wait until something happens and deal with it then. Like, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Raise your hand, people. Okay, great. Thank you for being here. Okay, I'm going to encourage you to rethink that position on these three areas. Okay? Being proactive gives you choices. Being proactive causes empowerment. It, it gives you an opportunity to do the things you want to do. It gives you control back of your life. And number three, it gives people, many people, not all, peace of mind. Okay. The second one, reactive people have a tendency to have to compromise. In other words, back when there was a car shortage and people had a car problem and they needed to go get a new car, they had to pick a car from a limited supply because we didn't have as many cars on the car lots, right? But people who were proactive got to get whatever car they wanted to because they had planned ahead and they didn't have to worry about the shortage of supplies. Kind of like toilet paper. <laughs> there was a period of time in our house that we had to deal with single ply toilet paper. Single ply, can you imagine? It was awful because we were not proactive and we did not stock up. I'm not going to ask by a show of hands who stocked up. <laughs> okay. You're also overwhelmed oftentimes when you're reactive and there's regrets. Almost always there's regrets when you have to react. So here are the proactive areas. Three, living arrangements, support network, 
And then the last area, I kind of labeled it health, wellness, and fitness. So let's talk about living arrangements and how you can take proactive steps on your living range. This is about where will I live and when, okay? And please understand, I have no agenda. I'm not trying to incentivize you to move or not move. What I want to do, oh, and I, what I really want to do here is I want you to be thinking about what you've made the decision to do already and decide how you're going to make that happen, okay? So if you're the person in the room who says, I am not moving to one of those places, you cannot make me, fine. Then let's have a plan for how you're going to live at home where you are or wherever you choose. If you are somebody who says, I'm going to move to one of those places, then how are we going to make that happen, right? There's a plan. So either way is fine with me. I have no agenda on that. It's having the plan that's the key, okay? So plan A, plan B, and plan C. So what I do is I said, okay, the very first line on each plan is compounding. So the very first line says, I'm staying put here forever, right? That's it. But if that's your plan A, which is today's plan, then plan B might be, if I can't live here anymore, I will move in with my daughter, or I will move wherever, X, Y, Z, or my daughter will move in with me, or X. Whatever plan B is, is if plan A doesn't work out. Make sense? Plan C is if plan A doesn't work out and then plan B doesn't work out, you're gonna go to plan C. Plan C is usually crisis driven. Okay, most of us can't plan for that. We can't, we can't know if we're gonna have a crisis, but most people will say, I am never moving to a nursing home. Never, 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 never. And then they find themselves in one. And unfortunately, they have no choice in which one because at that point in crisis, you cannot make that choice. Somebody else is gonna make that choice for you. So if you truly wanna create a plan C, I'm just gonna say it, you'll decide that if you ever need nursing care or memory care, those kind of are two different creatures but same circumstances, these are the ones I would choose. Now, problem with that. I'm gonna poke a hole in that. I told you about my dad before. My dad is in Geary. He said, Nikki said, my plan is if I can't live at home, I wanna move to the nursing home in Geary. Well, the nursing home in Geary is now a grow house doesn't offer the same services as the nursing home. So that was his plan B, <laughs> and we don't have a plan C. So his plan C is gonna be reactive, whatever happens. So it'll probably be up to me what plan C is. And I've talked to enough of you in the room that either you don't have children, or they don't live nearby, or you don't trust your children, or you don't like them. And you don't really want them making that decision for you. Or you have five of them and they can't agree on anything, your children. I don't know, but we all have different reasons for our search circumstance. So wouldn't you rather be the one who chooses and then tells somebody this is what I want? And I'll talk more about that in a second. But plan B, the second one. So the first one is in three years, I'll move to, I'm gonna use Spanish Cove as an example. You say in three years, I'm gonna move to Spanish Cove. That's my plan A. And I'm gonna do that as an independent, healthy person. Like, Martha and Johnny did, right? We're gonna go have the time of our lives and we're gonna go row down the Oklahoma River and we're gonna go on trips and we're gonna do these things. Something happens in that three years and your health declines for whatever reason, you have a problem, and now you, for whatever reason, don't qualify to move into independent living there. 
And so your plan B is what? Now, some of you will say, well, my plan B is I'll just go to the assisted living at Spanish Cove. Well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Because if they don't have availability, then they reserve that availability for the people who live in independent living already. Same way at Concordia. You get to go to assisted by the very nature of the fact that you're an independent person there. It's not a guarantee that you'll get to go to their assisted living because unless they have availability, you're not getting in there. So you better have a different plan B than that. Does that make sense? And then plan C, again, is the what, what if neither of those options work. The third one, when my dog dies, I will downsize to a smaller place. Now, you can laugh, but I know some of you in the room are pet lovers, and there are some of you that are not moving because you currently have a pet living with you that you do not want to disrupt. I know, because I've met with people. When my dog dies, I'll move. Okay, great. Where? And then they say where. Okay, great. When my dog dies, I'll move here. What happens if your dog outlives your health? What happens if your dog is 15 years old and you have a stroke or you have Parkinson's or you have Alzheimer's or you have an issue? What is your plan B? Plan B here is if my health fails before my dog dies, my daughter will take my dog and move sooner. Okay. What does plan B involve besides you and your dog? A daughter. Does your daughter know that's your plan? Because I can promise you, you're laughing. There are some of you in the room who can honestly say, nope, she has no idea. And some of your daughters, by the way, think you're going to move in with them, and you're like, not a chance in heck. But they don't know that either. Does that make sense? So this conversation has got to happen, which is where the support network comes in. So plan for your living arrangements, and then you have got to surround yourself with people who can help you with that plan. Now, if you're moving to uh, a continuing care retirement community like Concordia or Spanish Cove, your plan A, B, and C are kind of built in. Okay, They're kind of built in. But there are some other areas that are not built in, like you still need to have your legal stuff in order. Right? You still need to have your end-of-life stuff in order. You still need to make sure that you have a health care advocate, somebody that can be, maybe be at the hospital with you should you need that. Um, you need to have a social network, which again, if you choose to participate in those things, are kind of built in. But if you're not moving someplace where those are built in, then you've got to supplement with those things. Okay. In other words, let me give you an example. Let's say your plan A is to move to Lionwood. And Lionwood is a beautiful, wonderful community. It's amazing. You're going to have a good time there. You're going to be well-fed. Um, thankfully, they also have exercise programs <laughs> because you're well-fed and then you need to go exercise. But what they don't have is health care. Okay? They're not a health care community. So you need to make sure that you have built in a plan B for if something should happen and you cannot live in an independent environment. Are you going to bring somebody in? Are you going to go somewhere else? Are you going to have a family member, etc. right? So your support system around you are the people who are going to help you make plan A, B, and C work. Okay, They're the people and they are the plan. Now, I'm not here to pitch anything specifically service-wise, but I have to tell you this one's hard to, hard to not want to pitch because the gift, which is through Villages OKC, uh, villages, if you haven't met with somebody from Villages, you should. 
Marilyn Olson has talked about this on panels that we've had many times. That when she was taking care of her aunt and then her mother and her mother-in-law, she has a binder. And the binder has all of the necessary information for her to basically help that person carry out their wishes. This is not just their estate plan. You know, Jennifer does a masterful job back there with creating an estate plan, which gives you the legal documents you need for somebody to carry out those duties. So Marilyn took that binder and she created this program together with Concordia and some other folks that helped her put it together and now they do it as a program called The Gift, gathering information for transitions. I have probably easily told people, I don't know, 50 times over the last year or so to go take this workshop. And I can tell you that the majority of people will not do it. And here's why. It's kind of like going to college. Senior in high school is faced with the, the question, do I go to college or do I not go to college? The parents or the grandparents say what? If you want to be better prepared, have a better job, have a better life, you need to go to college or vocational school or get some sort of education, right? Or you can wing it and do whatever you want to. That's totally fine. I'm going to say to you at retirement age, this is like either going to college or not going to college. You're either going to be prepared and you're going to have a support system around you and you're going to have talked to the people. This is the thing. A lot of you have a plan, but it's covert. It's very stealthy. It's all right here. And nobody else knows about it. Which means if something happens right here, or physically you can't communicate that plan, nobody knows how to execute it, right? So the gift is basically that workshop. I have no vested interest in it. I make no money on it. I don't have any relationship to it whatsoever, ever, other than the fact that the people who have gone through that program have said to me, Nikki, I had not thought about these things at all and now not only am I having to think about them, I'm actually talking to my family about them and my family knows exactly what I want and they know where to find my binder. Okay, ready for my disclosure? Mine is a work in process. It's, it's not done. It's on my bookshelf. It's not complete because like all good college students, I procrastinate. Right? I'm 52 years old. Why do I need to do this today? Well, why? Because I don't know what 52 and a half holds, right? None of us do. So why are we procrastinating? Most of the time because we're in denial. And by the way, most of you right now, if I asked you what age do you think you are, not what's on your driver's license, Eddie, most of you will tell me that you, are, you feel 20 years younger than your driver's license says you are. Which means you do what? You procrastinate. Because I'm really only 30. So I'll do that when I'm 50, but my driver's license says I'm 50. So everybody, right now, no, I'm just joking. Pull your driver's license out and look at it. First of all, see if it's not expired, Chris. And second of all, see how old you are. Last category. Not least important by any means, just I had to put them in some order, and this one was the third. But this is the category you got to focus on. You got to focus on your mind, body, and spirit. This is your health, wellness, and well-being. And so 
I, I was having a conversation Wednesday morning with my Pilates teacher, Shirley. Shirley's in her 60s, I think. I, I don't think I've ever asked her, but I would say put her in her mid to late 60s. She's amazing. She is so fit. Uh, she just, she can run circles around me. And she exercises a lot. I mean, she teaches Pilates, but she also exercises and works out. And we were having this conversation, and she said, Nikki, she said, most people could avoid having to go to the nursing home if they would just do some sort of strength and balance training, right? Pilates, yoga, workout with a trainer, getting stronger, building muscle mass, because after 40, our muscles start to deteriorate, right? Our athletics folks in the room will attest to that. And you either have to build them back up or they basically begin to just weaken over time, just like your bones. And then what happens is you go to get up off the toilet one day and <laughs> you can't. Right? Or you can't get in and out of your car. Or getting up on the steps is harder. So strength training and mobility training is so important. So how many of you are retired in the room? You have 40 hours a week given back to you after you retire. What do you do with it? And what would happen if you used about a third of that time on your body? Getting your body in shape. Right, doing what you needed to do. Now I have a really good excuse for not doing it because I work full time. Right? <laughs> Go ahead, call me out on that. Right? No, right, Jerry? No. You cannot. That th we can all make excuses for why we don't do it. And yet I get up and I go to the stupid Pilates class at 7 o'clock in the morning even though I don't really want to because I want to be able to get off the toilet for the rest of my life by myself. And I'm going to circle back, guys. And again, this is the, called the Truth Series. Those of you who forgot, the Truth Series. Here's the truth. If I cannot get up off the toilet myself, I will need to hire someone or have a family member do it for me. Now, keeping in mind the person that I would need to hire to do it is currently making between $11 and $18 an hour. And there, this is not a ministry for them. It does not excite the crap out of them to get up in the morning to come help me get up off the toilet. You guys follow me? So wouldn't you rather be able to get yourself up off of the toilet? Yeah? I, I mean, that's my thing. So how many hours are you willing to spend a week doing that so that you can get yourself up off of the toilet, so you can continue to drive, so that you continue to cook, but yet I will tell you that the, the highest percentage of, of people who watch the news and television and movies and who are watching the boob tube are who? Retirees, right? We'd rather sit in front of Netflix or the TV or whatever it is of your, your TV of choice than do the exercise. Did you know that they have machines that you can stand on and walk? They're called treadmills that also have TVs built in. You can do it all at the same time. It's cool. Pelotons, actually, you can do that too, right? So where are my physicians in the room? Back here, where am I? I have physicians in the room somewhere. Dr. Montera, a couple of people know. Okay, they're not here today. I, I, I really feel like they should um, be coming up here to talk about that. But All right, social and connected. Guys, if you don't have a social group around you that you can call when you need something, what do you do? 
You know what most people do? Age 65 and older, they don't have a social group, and they have an issue that they need help with. Do you know who they call? Let's assume they don't use Google. Who? 911. They call 911. Oh dear. Who said oh dear? <laughs> right? Okay, so here's what happens. You call 911 because you have a need and you don't have a social group or family to call. Guess who shows up? Fire department. And then behind them, maybe a police officer, whatever. So now, how many of you are a little bit concerned about our first responders being a little spread out, a little spread thin, right? Well, why do you think they're spread so thin? Because people are using them as their backup plan. Right? They're using them as their backup plan, you guys. Now, ladies in the room, I will admit, having a firefighter in your house, changing your thing, it's, it's, it's not bad to look at. I'll give you that. But it's probably not the best use of our resources. Right? Health and wellness, I uh, can't speak enough to that, but I will say that, um, guys, the strength and mobility go hand in hand with the health and wellness thing. If we will focus on maintaining our health and our wellness, we will not likely need care beyond independent living. And when I say care beyond independent living, what I mean is by choice living in community. So as an example, Lionwood, uh, Concordia, and Spanish Cove all have people living in their building that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong ladies, 100 years old or older, right? They all have people living in their buildings 100 years old or older in independent living. Independent living, not assisted, not nursing. And the reason that that is, is because, well, first of all, maybe genetics has something to do with it, but what they're saying now is that about 80% of our longevity and our health in longevity is not genetics. It's completely within our means of control if we will take control of it. So if you are looking at health and wellness, part of the reason that people are having that kind of success at independent living, we talked about it earlier, is that they have people around them. They have things to do, they have people to talk to, they're engaged socially, intellectually, nutritionally. Most of them exercise, not all, right? Um, some of them still drink wine, some of them still drink uh, whiskey, some of them still do things that the doctors say that if you do it in moderation, it can still be done, right? These are not people who are deprived of life. Um, and most of them still are out and about every day. They're not in a room in a bed, which is what our mind says when we say we're going to live to 100. When I said earlier I'm going to live to be 100, a lot of you were like, okay. And then when I said 120, how many of you went? <gasps> because what do, what do we think of when we think of 120? We think of a vegetative person in a bed on a feeding tube, right? because that's not something that we have really experienced much of. But do you know that there are people right now, as we speak, at 116 years old, living active, everyday lives at home? At home. Now they have help, they have families, they have friends, they have a social network, but they are doing it with that help. So, can it be done? Absolutely. All right, um, I'm gonna stop there. And I suspect there are people with comments. I don't know that there'll be any questions. Um, if there are, that's fine. I'll be happy to defer those to the person that can answer them. But how many of you right now, just do me a favor, will take this home and take that back page and fill it out within the next five days? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're promised that you'll do it. 
we're at a church right now. So raise your right hand, your left hand, pretend that your other hand's on a Bible, and say, I will do this. Say that again. Sherry, thank you for asking that. That was a great question. That was, that was perfect. So Sherry's asking, who's going to check to see if we did it? Well, ideally, this is, this is my response to you in all sincerity. Ideally, you would do this with somebody else, right? Invite somebody to coffee. Invite somebody over to your house. Invite yourself over to their house. I don't care. Um, but sit with somebody and have, if you're not going to do the gift, which is the, the, the villages thing, if you're not going to do that, which is a little group, you know, six, eight people in a group, then at least do this with some people and get started. Because the thing is, um, I can't check every one of them. Now, I will say that there isn't a single person at the education tables back here that would not be willing to sit down with you and look at yours and see if there's something they can do to help you finish. If you're sitting there and thinking, I really don't know how to do this, I'm really nervous about it, where should I start? Then on your eval, you can just check the little boxes that say, I'd like more help with X, and you just put a little check in there. That's what these folks are here for. Uh, Shannon met with some people yesterday and you know, for se several long period of time. And she basically was going over with them, what, what are you thinking? What are your options? Where do you want to live? Why do you want to live there? Tell me more about that. It's a couple, and they don't necessarily agree on the timing. Well, so here's your homework, right? There are people in this room that have committed. And, and I'll just be honest, too. Lance, where's Lance? He was here. Lance Ward, he's here, right? So Lance is here from Crossings. And one of the things that he told me when we started this here is he said, you know, he said, Nikki, we, we have a, a big congregation here. And he said, our ministry team is always working with people on these issues, right? They're trying to help them work through it. And there, there, are, there are people in churches. There are people in not-for-profits. There are people in for-profits. We're all willing to do this. But here's the issue that we come across is that people want to procrastinate. They say they want to do it. And then we call them and they say, well, let's do this. And you know what they say? Well, I'll do it next week. They say, okay, I'll call you next week. And they call next week. And then you know what they say? I'll call me next week. And the two years goes by, and then they call us, and they're in crisis. And they say, I wish I would have called you sooner. Okay? So I'm just going to encourage you to do it. It's, this is one of those things. that There's some stuff that costs money. Let's be honest, right? If you go get your estate plan done, or if you go and you want somebody to manage your trust for you, like somewhere like Arvest, there are fees involved in that for sure, right? But there are also some things that some of these folks can do for you that are free, right? Like have a conversation, have an evaluation, and that kind of thing. So don't, don't think that just because in your mind you think, oh, that's going to cost me a lot of money. Have the free conversation first, and then decide if you want to spend money on it, right? Because all of us are willing to do that. All right, so let me tell you about two um, educational programs, and then I'll take any questions, and then we'll get out of here and go to lunch. All right. So the first one is our, our next program, I'm going to pitch it for you, is planning for long-term care costs, resources, and benefits. This is the one that some of you have been to, a similar one, it's not exactly the same, where we're going to talk about Medicare, Medicaid, veteran aid and attendance benefits, long-term care insurance, and Medicaid planning. Okay, uh, It will be at the library. And it's a panel, so we have some folks that are experts in those fields that will be there. 
that is a limited space so if you're going to go to that make sure that if you register you show up and if you don't go that you cancel let us know because it only holds so many and we'll have a waiting list for that the second one up here is the truth about senior living options and costs which is back here one month from now on March 9th. That's one of the things that Dawn is gonna talk about. I have Dawn Bliss from Spanish Cove, Danny Eichen from Concordia. I have a consultant who consults with senior living communities all around the country who's coming in from out of state for that. And then I also believe that Polly with Lionwood will probably be joining us for that too. Um, because what I want them to explain is this is a seminar we've never done before, never. And here's why I wanted to do it, is I wanted them to explain those numbers that I showed you earlier, why they are what they are. Because here's one of the challenges. I think in my mind, sometimes I think to myself, you know what, these guys are making a bunch of money, right? They're making a lot of money because they're charging so much money. It's kind of like people think realtors make a lot of money because of our commission. And then when I show them what my expenses are, they go, oh, you're not making as much as I thought. Like, really? So with these senior communities, I need them to be able to show you what are their labor costs, what are their meal costs, what are their supply costs, what are their building fees, what are their service fees, that kind of thing. And, and what do we expect that to look like going forward? Because that's the other thing is they're having to plan out years from now, right? Spanish Cove just did big expansion a few years ago, right before the pandemic. And they had to plan for that way out. And now they're looking at their current building, they're looking at their current residence, and they're going, okay, what do we need to do to remain sustainable and viable for these people for the foreseeable future, right? Okay, so they're going to talk about that on the 9th of March. I mentioned that the other communities, uh, or not communities, but the other education partners have programs going on on a lot of different topics. I know Spanish Cove's doing one on senior living options. I know that um, Lionwood is doing one with Shannon on real estate. Uh, Concordia has several going on. So anyway, go back there and pick those up. All right, any last comments before we go? What did, yes sir? Where is Dr. Kevorkian when you need him? I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, I thought about talking about that today not Dr. Kevorkian specifically, but do you know that, uh, can I speak to that real quick? Yeah, so let me ask you a question. When you say, where is Dr. Kevorkian when we need him, what makes you ask that question? I know you said it jokingly, but there's some sincerity behind that. What do you mean? You don't feel like life is worth living. If you don't feel like life is worth living and you just want to be done with it, right, then why can't I do that? Okay, that's the real question. Okay, fair question. Now, I'm not a preacher, so I'm not going to speak to this from a religious or Christian or any other uh, religious standpoint. I'm just going to speak to it from a real practical standpoint. Okay, well, I shouldn't say practical. I have a background in counseling, so I can't really be completely unbiased. But here's the deal. If you're at that place in your life and you're an otherwise healthy person, then which one of these categories do you need to be working on? social and connected, right? Because you're missing something in your life that should give you meaning, and that might be religion, or it might just be a really good friend to have a cup of coffee with every morning, right? And I'm gonna tell you guys that that's, that may also be clinical. You may need to be on a pill for that. You may need an antidepressant, right? I don't know, 
But if that, if you're in your mind, if you find yourself thinking, you know what, I wish Dr. Kevorkian could be here because I'd just be done with it all. That is a good reason to call a friend or your pastor or some one of us for crying out loud and we will come out and have a cup of coffee with you and we'll get you through that because that can happen to any of us. Raise your hand if you've ever felt that way, even one time. Raise your hand. Look around. I have. In all honesty, there have been days, right? And during COVID, let me tell you, a lot of people were having that thought. And so if you find yourself thinking, I wish I could just take a pill or inject myself, then, then that's a bigger issue, right? Now, on another note, there is this thing called, that used to be called physician-assisted suicide, right? Now it's called something different. Um, help me. Um, no, 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 I'm not, uh, 988 is who you call if that's what you need. But what I was going to say is you could actually, if someone has a terminal illness, right, and they're not, they're not clinically depressed, but they have a terminal illness, whether it be cancer or whether it be dementia or whatever it might be, that they go, okay, I don't want to live un for an unforeseeable period of time this way. And they want to take control of their own end of life. There are ways people can do that. Now, they're not legal in every state. They're legal in about nine states, I think. You have to be a resident of that state, and there are very, very strict requirements. Oregon happens to be one of them. The reason I know this uh, is right off the top of my head is because I'm teaching a class right now at SNU called Death, Dying, and Bereavement. And in that class, the students were asked to do an end-of-program assignment, an oral report on a topic, and one of the young ladies chose this uh, assisted suicide, if you will. And she, the girl that she did her case study on was 14 years old, developed brain cancer. Um, they could not, it was inoperable. They did a couple of operations, but then she, they knew she was going to pass. And by the time she was 19, they knew she wasn't going to make it. So she chose to move to Oregon, I believe it was, or Washington, one of those states, um, and, and get a prescription so that she could end her own life on her own terms. She did not end up using that prescription, but the having the prescription gave her peace of mind of knowing that she could ultimately decide for herself how her fate was going to be. So it's just a very interesting topic that we, again, 10 years, we're gonna see more of this and we're gonna see it legalized. Right now you can go across uh, to Switzerland or um, Sweden, is it Sweden? One of those places I looked it up that that has about thirty thousand dollars. You can go over there. It's like hospice here, very normal there. But am I recommending that? No, because here's the deal: most of us are not going to deal with that. What we're dealing with is a momentary lack of purpose and passion, and we can fix that. We can fix it, right? Because if we care about each other and we create a circle around each other, we don't need Dr. Kavorkian. I think he had a purpose, but I don't think he serves our purpose very well. That's my opinion. That was an, ed that was an editorial comment. That was my second one. Isn't that good? Okay, good. All right. Who else? I saw one other hand for a comment. Yeah, Eddie. In regards to expenses? Yeah. Yeah, so Eddie's point says uh, doing nothing can be more expensive. It's not free. It can be more expensive than doing something in the long run. 
So absolutely. And so for those of you who are thinking to yourself, it's cheaper for me to just keep doing what I'm doing, um, make sure that you um, verify that, right? Do the, do the work to verify that what you're talking about is true. Um, I'm seeing a hand. Yeah, Herb. Can you come up here, Herb? You don't have to run, no. I'm gonna, but I am gonna. Um, I'm gonna have you come up here and stand by me because I think it might help with. You may be able to actually project a little bit. Will he pick up any of this mic if he stands by me? Hello, can you hear me? <laughs> Sorry about this, Chris. Uh. Anyway, uh, my wife was in a memory care community here in Oklahoma City for about three and a half years. And uh, I quickly realized that it was the CNAs were the ones that were hands-on with, with Gail. And so I made sure that I would catch them doing something right and tell them about it. Because most of the time, all they're hearing is what went wrong. And that made a difference. To the, there were three of the ladies that, uh, that were there the whole time that were, were caring for her. And uh, I tell you what, they still call me up seven years later. It, it's, it's a way that you can make a difference to make people, you know, we want people to stay in this field and feel fulfilled. Well, that's how you do it. Right. I was a manager in the oil industry and I did the same thing. You know, yeah, there's times you got to tell them, you know, this has got to change. But, boy, if you do that for them, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And I went around giving speeches for about two years across the country. And I went up to Albany, New York one time, and they asked me to give a speech. They were going to bring in CNAs from as many communities as they, as they could get. And they wanted me to give them a thank you speech because they never get that. They never get it. And so I wandered around with them. They didn't know who I was or what I was going to be doing. So I just wandered around with them, and they were complaining. You know, why am I here? What's, what, what's this all about? And after I got done, they were in tears because nobody had ever told them thank you before. And usually when they're called into a room that size, it's to get in trouble. Yep. Yeah, good. So good anyway. Time. All right, thank Herb for that. Um, so last plug and then we're gonna get out of here. Herb is a support group leader of several support groups with the Alzheimer's Association. He also does, uh, he's a geologist by trade and so he does a talk called uh, Rocks Not In Your Head. And he's going to be doing that in February um, in conjunction with Villages. So, guys, we have some really amazing people back here. Please go get involved. Bring a friend because you know as well as I do, you've got somebody holed up in their house right now who should be out talking to people. So let's get people out of their houses so they don't need Dr. Kevorkian. And let's make sure that, um, that we love on people a little bit. Is that what you're doing? Oh, my apologies. Okay. All right. Did you learn something today? Yes or no? Yes? Yes. Okay. So please fill out the evaluation. Give it to Shannon in the red sweater in the back of the room. And what do you have to fill out? The front and the back. You give that to her. The handout you take home with you so that you can fill it out in the next how many days? Five days. And then you're going to let somebody else know that you did it. Right? And that's somebody, can be anybody you want to. And if you don't have anybody, then send it to me and I'll look at it to see that you did it, okay? Give yourselves a round of applause for being here today. All right.